0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. The Lacrosse Alpha Burley Pro delivers an athletic and glove like fit that will hold the foot in place to prevent chafing and rubbing while on the move.
1: Lacrosse Boots, done right since 1897. <laughs> All right, guys, welcome to another Land of Legacy Habitat podcast here on Sportsman's Nation. We've got Matt Dye on the phone calling in from the East Coast. Um, he's That's out. Right. Yeah, you're out. Tell tell everybody where you're at.
2: Hi, right now I'm in Virginia. Um, we had a great, great week. We kind of had to split up in the Midwest. You went further south in the Midwest to do a consultation. I headed east to do... Um, a property, work a property with a great gentleman and landowner in eastern, southeastern Pennsylvania, then hang out with the family for a couple days and then head to Ohio, southeast Ohio, to work a property um, this coming week. So we've been busy and traveling and touring all over the place.
1: That's right. Uh, and part of that traveling last week was uh, something so exciting for us because we visited mm-hmm. with. Justin Adams and all the other people at pure air natives um, and that's a company we've been working with now for several months and have been working on developing some seed mixes for um, all you guys, all the listeners, all the properties we reach and with our clients, and pretty much anybody who's looking to improve the landscape and improve their land and this is something that I, you'll clearly hear it in the interview with Justin the excitement <laughs> yeah. in our voices when it comes to um un, unveiling the mixes that we've come up with uh i think exactly. we're just getting started too um and and when we talk about and we'll kind of we don't want to give it all away but there's really four main mixes that we're talking about and one of them's an edge mix and then two phases to prairie bedding whatever you want to call it a bedding mix a prairie mix a pasture warm season pasture mix for the guys that are cattle country and then a screen mix um, and these are all designed to improve the habitat but also be perfect for the role that you're going to plant them in um,
2: and the and the huntability of farms too like that's that's the the cherry on top.
1: That's right. Uh,
2: and I don't I don't want to give it away, but I again yeah. we are super excited. But it's, you'll you'll hear that. It's one
1: that. of my favorite podcasts to date, if not right which, there. I, I know it's in the top three. Which a,
2: yeah, which is a powerful statement because there's there's been I guess I guess we're uh,
1: <laughs> what uh is this? Seventy six.
2: This is seventy six. Yeah. yeah, we're a little biased, but there to say that there's there's been a lot of good ones but this is definitely up there
1: yeah it because we got to nerd out for a full hour on native grasses and wildflowers which is something that i think if people understood the power of these native grasses and for and forbes one guy commented lately on our facebook page matt he said i love how you guys use forage and forbes so much Um, Mm -hmm. so i just did it again for him but um the wildflowers the forbs uh, basically all that in in one word forb and grasses mix to where we have just an overabundance of food and cover um for for so many species and i've asked this question before but what happens if you walk away from your farm tomorrow or something happens and you leave what's your legacy what's what's the impact that you put on there for better or worse and uh This is, when you're talking about planting something like native grasses and wildflowers, that's something that can be around a long, long time. So uh, I encourage all of our listeners, if you have the ability or you're interested, do some more research, and when you're ready to go, I promise you when you see the prices of these things compared to the other ones out there, um, you're going to be very, very happy.
2: Yeah, and I I think really research and, and take to heart what is being talked about with the blends and then how they're broken down in a price structure, and then again how you're implementing that that package basically across the entire landscape because it goes a long, long ways.
1: Oh, so so much, and so we'll let you guys listen to the full interview with Justin. But before we do that, Matt and I were on the QDMa module number seven. We've got one more That's after it. this. Yep. Once again, if you're interested, I think this is a great value. 20% discount if you go to www.qdma.com forward slash land and legacy. It'll take you to these modules, and uh, you can have at it. There's so much information compiled here over an eight-step eight, eight step module course, and uh, this week is whitetail biology, and there's so many interesting tidbits and things that we can use to understand how to become a better land manager and also a better hunter. Um, and, and I know totally that right. we we've spent a lot of time talking on the modules in the past. This week we're not, not going to talk a whole lot on it, just because we have so much information coming with the with the uh, interview with Justin Adams at Pure Natives. But Matt, I,
2: real, real quick, real quick, I had a good idea. I think this it's it's so close to season, um, and hunters sometimes are tough to buy Christmas presents for. And if you want to share the gift of education and knowledge this is actually a decent gift for someone or a new hunter to get them started and give them a good basis before season starts of why hunters do what they do um and to understand the the game that they're chasing so if you're looking for a gift for someone maybe it's your dad you want to help educate um or or a landowner share this with them Get it out there. Yeah. Um, it, it might be able to help them out and give them a different perspective on things.
1: The gift of education. That's one thing I used to like, oh, please. Oh, in college, don't, yeah, don't, for sure. Don't bother. Yep. Yeah, don't even try to humor me. But now I'm like, I find myself being that person that's got a bookshelf full of books, and I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. You, and you talk a little bit, and you say, like, Zach Shermer has one of, them, one of my favorites from this year's reading. Um, he's got it right now. That's a, uh, the Journal of... Henry Schoolcraft through Southern Missouri, and mm-hmm. I just find myself being the guy that says, "Oh, I got a book you need to read." <laughs> yep. Somebody says, "Don't even humor me," and so, uh, <laughs> but no, I think that it's a great value and it's also a great tool um, to educate yourself and and be a better deer manager um, for sure. So, what were some of your? Do you have any of your favorites?
2: There were a couple things that stood out to me. I'm not gonna go into a lot of detail, but some of them. Or the tarsal glands, that's just a creative, like, just very unique part of the whitetail that does so much down the road. Um, you know, we think about it from a hunting standpoint and what how it plays and how deer communicate with one another and their uniqueness. Um, there's a lot of information there, including tarsal glands. But that that was cool. And then the the I think it's the article that Kip talked about sex ratios,
1: and yeah.
2: <clears throat> But basically the, how over time a lot of the deer kind of auto correct a little bit um, which i don't think is talked about enough we, we, you know as hunters we we, um, we want to make the most conscious effort that we can to take the same number of um, bucks and does over time but if you come into a system or an ecosystem and, and you're extremely skewed you need to weigh that and and do your part to help control it but know that from this research, this this information, this article, that they're going to help auto correct that or offset that um, over time as well. So um, it's not like doom and gloom. It can be corrected and they're going to help you in that situation almost.
1: That's right. I, I think for me, it, the little graph was just so he talked about it in the article, but then he gave the graph of kind of breaking it down on there was 90 does and this many bucks and what happens during hunting season and then what so what the ratio would be post hunting and then what would Mm -hmm. happen after um, a bunch of fawns were born and basically 50 50 half bucks half does and then I guess there was mortality outside of hunting season and then Mm -hmm. uh, kind of I mean nature is one of those things that um, to me it's so it's it's a darn good thing it is really good at healing itself without our help no, because we we're terrible at helping it for the most part as, <laughs> as yeah. i mean plowing and it, plowing it, and it, and all the horrible things we do to our land um, on a broad scale and it's like my gosh it's a good thing it can heal quickly
2: yeah we we have like as a land just like not even you need to be a manager of the land you just need to get it back to like the parameters in which it will auto correct and heal itself. It, it's sad to say
1: that, that sometimes you're, you're some good. of the best management that a person could do is to stop managing. Yeah. It. <laughs> so, yeah, stop uh, what
2: you're doing. <laughs> yeah.
1: Maybe let somebody else give it a try. Um, yeah. I think I, I really enjoyed the one on deer sight and basically how mm. they see um, as far yep. as their eyeball, what it does whenever they're looking head up, head down and um, how Difference it doesn't and change, and, and, yeah, and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and then color schemes and and what they right. see and what they don't see. But the UV, talking about how they do see UV better than we do and how um, using UV lights or black lights to check your clothes and if they glow, I always think of the of the, the video series. I think it was the Dury Outdoors you used to use a lot of the infrared cameras like in the tree stand or in the blind where it was yes. like green and yeah. some guy would be wearing a top that you couldn't see, and, it, and his pants were, yeah. like, like glowing. And uh-huh. uh, it's like, man, that that right there, that guy needs to use a different detergent or do something to to knock that down. So I thought that was really cool. Um, yep. And then there was a part on upper canines, which we get questions on that every single year um, throughout the fall. Yeah. It seems like somebody kills you one. They think it's the most rare animal media. ever.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, one study had 14% of the deer um, had the upper canines, and then another one was like 2%, and another one was 4%. So it varied, but it definitely is a percentage of deer out there that have it. Mm -hmm. um, But my favorite of this one was the deer sleeping portion, where uh, there's not a lot of research, basically, because they found out that. That's tough to get research. It's tough to research an animal so so, uh, skittish sleeping. Um, and a lot oh, of times okay. they sleep with their eyes open, and so they interviewed a couple really, um, really big guys that have been studying deer for over a hundred years together. Oh wow! Um, between the two, and they basically said that if a deer sleeps with his eyes shut, it's less than five minutes long. In in periods, um, they kind of are fidgety sleepers. They move around a little bit, stand up, stretch, stand up, pee, and and do all kinds of stuff. Um, they're like
2: the old guy in deer hunting camp.
1: Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) snore, 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 wake up, wake up and sit there, snore, snore, wake up. And so like uh, they sleep with their eyes open a lot and they sleep kind of sprawled out or head tucked or head out on the ground. Um, And so that was just really interesting to hear those those stories about what they'd seen. So overall, I thought it was a great module. Um, There's a lot of really good information in there. I wish we could have spent more time on it this week. No doubt. But we have so much great stuff happen to Pure Air Natives. And so I hope you guys really listen to the entire podcast to hear the pricing and what's specifically in each blend,
2: and then and what it's going to achieve for you. And
1: that's right. And I think you need to also, if you're, because we're gearing up, you're buying your seed this fall. You're planting from November to to May typically. Um, and I encourage you that when if you are dead set on using a specific type or whatever, maybe it's nine period now, Pure Air Natives, check out the price differences because I'll promise you, um, I haven't found it myself of, of a better value out there. So um, it's definitely, definitely something you should check out. So, Matt, anything else you want to add to it?
2: I'm just going to say, you guys go ahead and enjoy and leave us comments and ask us questions about these types of blends. You'll see them incorporated this fall onto some of our film series. But um, on social media let us know what you guys are thinking about them and again any questions comment let us know
1: yep sounds good well you guys enjoy before we get started on this podcast i want to remind everybody to pay attention to the pricing um, through the blends and also note that there is a 10 percent discount to all um, listeners and people that follow along that when you purchase and make your order from pure air natives for these blends and you mentioned land and legacy you will get the 10%, po- uh, 10% discount. Also note that uh, although it was not mentioned much in this podcast pure air natives also has another company called DJM Ecological Services Incorporated which works a lot on establishing natives, timber stand improvement, prescribed fire um, wetland restoration, all kinds of big projects um, throughout the country. And so if you're interested in tackling one of those big, let's say it's a uh, huge TSI project, um, it's worth a phone call because all listeners that mention Land and Legacy get a 15% discount on the work uh, through DJ, DJM. So be sure to check that out. Pay attention to the to the prices. And then I, I encourage you to compare it to other other mixes out there that you may have looked at in the past and thought, oh, wow, I'm not paying for that. Because I think this is right in your wheelhouse. If you are interested in establishing some natives and the sticker shock got you, I think this is a chance to really get some, uh, some great blends for a much more affordable price. And I think that all goes with deer hunters, um, deer hunters establishing this, um, because we cut out some of the species that are really, really expensive in the, in a native wildflower, um, Blends um, that you often see, so we went with some very affordable um, species, and so uh, you'll definitely see that when you check out the pricing. So enjoy. All right, welcome to another Land and Legacy podcast. We're going to call it the Habitat Heroes podcast since it's habitat our habitat <laughs> since it's our habitat focused podcast.
2: It's the alliteration. Keep it. up
1: the H's. And so uh, I'm here myself. Matt is here. And then we also have our guest, Justin.
0: What's going on, Internet?
1: Yeah, there you go, Justin from (laughs) Pure Air Natives. And we have spent the last couple of hours up here in St. Louis, beautiful, beautiful city, north side, right?
0: Very north side, absolutely. (laughs) Strong
1: north side. And we have been on a couple different properties, a couple different places, going over kind of uh, the native grass wildflower restoration um, process that pure air natives is all about and uh needless to say you guys thought we nerded out about butterflies and and deer and stuff like that but you really have no idea how much we can nerd out about wildflowers and wild and and native grasses all native of course and uh so today has been a a very uh fun day for matt and i we've seen a bunch of different stuff that you guys have had your hands in but um justin kind of just give us a background on on what you do here at pure air natives
0: well the the most basic thing we do is we sell native grass and wildflower seed um you know we also have live plugs as you guys saw from the greenhouses as well Mm -hmm. but um we're really involved in the the native prairie restoration and uh we sell our seeds through cost share programs with the USDA, NRCS, FSA, MDC, all the different programs out there. And then um, we also do it on uh, for private lands for folks that are interested in improving their habitat for wildlife or for whatever it is. You know, you, you like bees, butterflies, birds, deer, turkeys, quail, pheasants, whatever it might be, natives is the place to it is the thing to plant for that
1: wildlife it's like the foundation for me it's, it's and it,
2: we've done what this is 76 podcast 76 so yeah. by now hopefully they know that that natives is the foundation hopefully and this is like mm-hmm. the the introduction into diversity diversity
1: diversity of natives is kind of what it's all about now now i know you
0: guys you guys say diversity a lot and and i hear it all the time on the podcast but we actually have mixes that are called diversity and high diversity and medium diversity mixes and prairie mixes so as you're going to see uh, hopefully this afternoon we're going to go out and see a a highly diverse prairie restoration that has 56 species of native forbs in that plant
1: Wow, 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 wow. Yeah, so. uh, definitely something I, I, I'm excited about. Yeah, no doubt, diversity. I think at one time, when you think of the food plot world, everybody's like, oh, it's diverse. It's got four species yeah. <laughs> And you're like, four species? Lame sauce. <laughs> mm. And so, uh, and even in the food plot world. Like
2: even the in world. the tempering world, like o- o- only people really are focusing on you know, the enhancement of the all these oaks and everything. It takes all kinds of kinds. Yeah. And in their respective areas to make proper habitat, right? Absolutely. But that's that's where this kind of talk and, and the natives in kind of comparison to the food plot world, um, it's it's apples and oranges.
0: It really is. There, there's so much more that you can do in, in creating a better habitat with natives than you can do with food plots. And not to knock food plots. It's a great no, supplemental they have their food place, followers. Absolutely. But, but natives can be everything. Mm -hmm. that that food plots can't be
2: well and they kind of they check two boxes and and most most of the types of plantings um that and especially some that we're going to talk about today but um it's it's a cover deal and it's a forage opportunity and we're always talking about maximizing acres and if you could have both of those in one acre whereas if you compare that to possibly just a food plot you just have one of them right And, and both are nutritious both um are attractive so you know we love we love both though
1: and and the key word to that was the native because when we when we look at let's just walk through the process of establishing a food plot you have a species that's probably not native so it's not adapted to that soil and you plant it you have to a lot of times prepare the soil by doing soil tests and trying to get the pH somewhere where where that plant would like it so you may have to add fertilizer you may have to add lime you may have to put all that input into it you
2: you mean add more money to it add more money let's just simple terms add money to it
1: and then you plant the species and if it turns off hot and dry and that species isn't adapted to it let's say a soybean since that's one of the most common things you add all the inputs to it and then it turns hot and dry and you have this plant that is starting to wilt and then you look over and you see something that's a native that's just like, well, we it was it. made for this. We covered
2: right. it last week in the podcast. Where we talked about you know the timber harvest and then comparing what's growing in there in these tough conditions this summer with the lack of rain, the heat. It's thriving. It's doing great. It's deep-rooted. It's set for this type of climate that we have, uh, whereas poorly prepared food plots aren't doing well that's right yeah you're
0: you're essentially what you're doing is you're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole you're trying to take something that's not adapted and force it to work on your piece of property
1: that's right you're putting a band-aid on a on a big gash that needed a lot of stitches right and uh to me that's why i get so excited about natives and and then you look at it from the aspect of going okay the food plots provide great forage for the deer um then once it makes pods it's good for the deer some birds um turkeys it's not great structurally for like poults and things like that at a young stage when when the turkey poults are small. and then what's it do for the pollinators, the bees and the and the butterflies? Not a R- lot relatively nothing. And, uh, and so then you look at it and you're like, nah. and then it's not that great. And then you look at a diverse stand of natives and you say, i have something beneficial for almost every native species here when it's when it has the correct amount of diversity at, at some
2: point throughout a year that those acres in a diverse native setting will be beneficial to wildlife it's going to achieve something in that life cycle that stage for tons of species a that, diverse amount of wildlife species, that's right. right a diverse amount like diverse complements diverse yeah right?
1: if you added if you planted a whole bunch of soybeans across your entire farm and then you're like, oh, I wonder what happened to the butterflies. Like, why don't I see any more? Well, that's because you have nothing for them. Right. And mm-hmm. so uh, what ha- where is all the honeybees at? I don't ever see honeybees until I'm, I'm my soybeans are blooming. Well, that's because that's the only time you have a smidgen of benefit. It's like, like where would all the fish go?
2: Oh, you don't have
1: water yeah yeah all the ducks? Not gonna work where's all the ducks at yeah. yeah you
0: throw in all the other benefits with natives too the erosion control the clean yes. water mm-hmm. you know the pollinator species like you said you you bring in the pollinators and it brings in the birds which brings in the small mammals and other things like that and all of a sudden you've created this ecosystem with a diverse planting there's that word again but you're you're really doing everything you're you're keeping your soil in the field as opposed to disking it and letting it wash oh. off and you know, yeah. year yeah. after year after year, little by little, that sediment's getting down into the stream, and, and, and now you, your stuff's washed away, the fertilizer that goes with it, everything else. So- the
1: soil's not nearly as productive as it once was. And then you think about that from uh, from a generational standpoint. That's what I, I try to, as as our listeners probably know, what, uh, my wife and I are expecting our first shot, and I'm, I'm just sitting here going... You know, if I did the same stuff I was doing back when I was in my teenage years of planting food plots, and how, and, I, and in 10 years of doing that, I noticed a huge decrease in the food plots. You put that on a large scale of, of uh, pr- production farming of, of doing those same techniques, it's like, man, my kid or my kids wouldn't have much to farm. It would just be so degraded after that. And so, ha- adding these diverse mixtures and and allowing that soil to be built back up and healthy, I love the name "Pure Air." Like that's just so catchy, you know. You just it's think timeless. It.
2: it goes back to like that that diversity of what you're talking about is kind of cleaning, filtering um, the whole ecosystem, and and it just it gets things back into rhythm and to gear when you have the ability to offer so much to so many different types of species.
1: Yeah, I, I love it. I absolutely yeah. love it. No doubt, I, we could go on and on we, and on. We could. I mean, this is one thing you guys only think I nerd out about ragweed and uh, and and then my hatred towards cedar tree monocultures. But don't even get me started on on native grasses and wildflowers. Well, actually, that's... we need to get started. That's what this podcast is oh, about. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you're you're in luck. Oh, sweet! We have a whole hour to talk about this. Yeah, so, that's right. That's right. Um, to me, this is just one of those things. So before we really as Matt likes to say, dive on into this, Justin, give us a little bit of your background on Pure Air. How long you've been here and kind of what your role is here. Uh,
0: So I'm the marketing manager here at Pure Air. Um, I have been working here since the beginning of 2018. Um, A little bit about why I'm here is um, Pure Air prior to me getting here, did a lot of work with landowners through cost share programs. But with my background, and knowing about, uh, I'm, I'm also the president of a QDMA branch here in St. Louis. I know you yeah. guys run your branch too. So, yep. you know, QDMA club right here. Woo, woo. But um, so knowing that I was trying to um, create better habitat for my, uh, for hunting purposes at my property, um, I really got into natives and, and especially because I don't have the big tractors and the big equipment to do a lot of food plot stuff. So I'm looking at ways that I can do this from a more realistic standpoint, that's something that's gonna be beneficial. So I really started diving into natives and uh, learning as much as I could and really fell in love with what Pure Air is doing and what uh, the direction they wanna go with bringing the native uh, planting into wildlife more for the hunters and and the landowners out there as opposed to just the the guys that are running through the cost share programs yeah so and and i'm here to do that um i can talk about wildlife and and deer hunting and and planting for wildlife all day long every day and i love it
1: that's right it's fantastic it's it's always very uh i appreciate it when you meet somebody who gets to do their passion as a job because that's what we get to do we get to do our passion as a job. You're the same way. And you th- just think about, we haven't said it yet, or I kind of touched on it, the generational mindset of natives. It's it's something that gets planted. When you plant a native, like native grass, wild, a prairie restoration, you plant something under the proper care at the beginning. You plant something that could be there for a long, long time after you, as long as somebody didn't come in and plow it under.
2: History proved that it was a sustainable ecosystem until we came and destroyed it but we can we can do what pure air natives does and we can restore it and then bring it back and have years and years and years and years of incredible habitat the,
0: the great thing about a prairie restoration or you know natives for wildlife it's, it's kind of one and the same there but the great thing about it is You don't necessarily have to have heavy equipment to do that. You don't have to disk the ground. There's ways to plant. These seeds are so, native Native seeds are so microscopic, so tiny, that as long as you can get that seed to touch the soil, you're gonna get some growth out of that. And then the way you maintain that over time is through fire or through mowing. Everybody's got a lawn mower, right? You know, you can pick up a riding lawnmower fairly cheap and cover a couple of acres, no problem. So you can maintain that and develop your prairie without needing heavy equipment to do that. Um, In a lot of cases, you can go out and and clear some ground through herbicide, and then come through with a fire, and you can get natives. Depending on what's been there in the past and what's yeah, been planted, sure. you can get a percentage of natives to grow back, and totally. you can start from there and and continue maintaining that Add without the need for a fifty thousand dollar tractor. You know, a mm, fifteen thousand yeah. dollar drill. All those things don't have to play into creating some of the best habitat there is for wildlife. Which Absolutely. is
2: which is funny because like. As well, we'll talk about you know some of the Forbes that are in here are like extremely showy and beautiful to eat, just look at. And it's like, how do wh- why why do we get away from that? Where we took something that's not native and put it into our our environment and said, oh, that's pretty. And what we took away the very thing that's like, oh my gosh, that's breath like takes your breath away, honestly. Um, and that. Like I said, we'll, we'll discuss some of them, um, but the flowering is like... It's almost like Throughout this whole summer, too. You want to say,
1: listen up, mm-hmm. fellas, landowners, hunters, that your wife... You're trying to find a way to get your wife on the farm. Listen up, because native... Crank that radio Native right wildflowers now. Is, is a possible way to do that. When you tell her the impact you're making by planting native grasses and wildflowers and what that's doing for the soil and the water quality and the insects. And you tell her the big picture of how beneficial it is to the whole system. Now, the smidgen part of that is it makes your honey better, but you tell her all that, and she goes, well, that's really cool. I want to see that. And She's, she's going to say,
2: why don't you do this first? Yeah. <laughs> right. Hopefully, right? Because, yeah. I mean, it's logical. In, in the long run, it really is
1: logical. Yeah. It, it's one of those things that you just – it's it's big picture mindset. It's long term. And it's long term, for sure, so, for
2: sure. Yeah. Which I think is why sometimes that it does. I think that's that kind of caveat to the, the question posed earlier. It's like why don't we do it? Well, I think because it's a longer term mindset, and not that it doesn't take you can't have success year one with it, but it it takes some time to see the maybe the longer term benefits. But my gosh, we're we're so like just driven to. Short-term immediate gratification immediate. there we go immediate gratification you can on everything it, we do,
0: you can equate it to planting trees right i mean yep. that's going to be a long term you know you're dedicating some time some commitment to that tree to get it to maturity for whatever whatever kind of master or, or whatever it might be mm-hmm. for any type of tree planting so you know a, a native species generally speaking is going to take a few years before it's mature so yeah. you may not get flowers year one and when somebody sees three foot tall quote unquote weeds growing yeah. out in a field they mow it down. It doesn't look pretty, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and then these flowers, when they do bloom may only bloom for two months out of the year, you know, that may happen in early spring and, and then they don't bloom again until next year. So it, it could very well depend on the time of the year somebody visits that particular plot. They may never see a flower on it at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've good missed point. it. So, so there's a lot of things that kind of factor into potentially why we've gotten away from that. Um, you know, America's love affair with turf grass is, mm. has been ongoing for years and years, and, and that's kind of choked some things out. But there is there is with natives, there's a commitment level that, that you have to be willing to put into before you see those results, and that's generally going to be a few years before you see the picturesque magazine cover type, you know, prairies that you're looking for. I,
1: I can't remember. It might have been Doug that called it the blue stem blues. Whenever you plant blue mm-hmm. stem, and it's like, you think, I mean, you go out and you throw rye grass or tall fescue and on the ground, and yeah. in six months it's growing up, and you, and you can send you're cows cutting, in you're there. you grass. Yeah, yeah you're and cutting raise. grass, you send the cows in there. With bluestem, it's a little bit – it can be difficult to get it to, to the six-foot tall that you expect mm-hmm. in the first year, and people get frustrated with that, and they give up on it.
2: But to combat that, it's a, it's a mindset that you have to know how to manage it and what to expect. When you start, when you make that commitment to do this kind of stuff, how do I need to, or what should I be expecting this month, this month, this month, or this year, this year, this year? And if you have that, all is well. Yeah.
0: One other thing I'll say with that, too, is is not to go too far down the you know the rabbit hole and get too nerdy here, but the stratification of seed is extremely important. And knowing that your seeds have been stratified, stratified, the stratification process is what allows the seed to actually germinate so you can native species have a much different stratification process than your typical uh, you know row crops that you're going to throw out there and some of those species if they're not stratified they won't germinate that year that you put them out there they might take a full calendar year before they get that stratification needed mm-hmm. in order to germinate so the blue stem the big blue stem blues the blue stem blues where you know what's going on here i planted this seed why isn't it growing well if it wasn't stratified properly, then it's going to take another year for that, you know, those climactic changes and, and the, the atmosphere, the moisture, the cold temps, the, everything else that, that factors into that to germinate that seed.
1: Yeah. Great, great oh, yeah. explanation. Perfect. Yep. Perfect. Um, I, I, you said not to nerd out too much. It's fine. You're, you're welcome here. You're, you're y- welcome y- to this table. Yeah, well, we nerd well, out every single week, probably. <laughs> well,
0: I'm just, I'm trying to think about the listener driving down the highway going, <laughs> what did he just say? <laughs> Hold on. Just <laughs> <laughs> I got to pull Stratus? over.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> is it isn't in the cloud? Did he seed? <laughs> yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, no, so to me that, you know, this morning, great, great, um, a great comparison or a great story to tell is, you know, when you drive across the landscape and, try not to throw up too much over what all's happened to our land um to me it well i'm gonna go off on some i'll just here's, warn you here's I'm rabbit, go on rabbit trails like crazy on this on this podcast i can hear the beagles coming yeah so uh, <laughs> um you drive across the landscape and you see nothing but i mean cedars cedars, cedars yeah. and serisa lespedeza teasel um johnson grass i That's mean the list goes on and on and on and and how grass. many people if we if we polled hunters and we said do you love like what do you love like do you love the land that you're hunting on and they would all almost 99 of them would say heck yes i love it i love why it not? yeah and, and then you say okay if you love it like why why do you let it deteriorate like this. It, it's and it's no say, different. Like, what? Like, there's a, there's d- stuff growing.
2: A dirty house. You can have yeah. a house and you can live in it, but if it's dirty and nasty, whatever, it's it's going to slowly degrade and get worse and worse and worse and not produce what you want. That's but, right. But why live in, in that condition, not maintain it as such and take pride in that ownership of the house? Ownership of the land no different.
1: So if you wanted, if you truly loved it, wouldn't you want to know... To me is going. I want to know what was there before, it got screwed up, and in and some t-
2: cases, it's I want to know if it's screwed up.
1: Yeah, and and so then it's like, okay, if you're in Ohio, Alabama, Florida, wherever you're at, Michigan, Missouri, you, I think it should be our duty to understand what that landscape. Now I'm asking a lot out of everybody, but I, it should be. I want to know what's native to this site, and it's not hard to find. It's not. You it's can get there. on and do some work and, and find the native landscape. And a lot of times you're going to find the stuff that we're talking about here, native grasses, native wildflowers, Most, almost all the time actually, and you're going to look at that and say, okay, how do I get that back? Is that here or, or do I need to plant it? Or now? am
2: I too far removed? And yeah. you brought it up earlier. Sometimes you can do that in some sites that haven't been too far removed from this native habitat that was originally there. You can do some work. We we've talked about it, spraying out cool season grasses and having yep. that seed bank regenerate. But in other cases where it's been so far removed, or the the um, the farmers come in and dis and destroyed or ruined that seed bank, you have to then go in and plant it. That's why we're here today to talk about it, talk about the benefits of it, and then basically those situations that you need to plant, and what it is to plant.
0: Yeah, it's in. It- in today's habitat out there it's pretty rare to be able to start with nothing go out and and you know spray out or burn out or whatever your cool season grasses and then to get a high percentage of natives to grow back in that place it's it's pretty rare it it can be done it happens um, but usually you're going to be in the less than 20 percent natives coming back you know on, on a little bit better preparation and sites you can maybe get up to 40% 40% or so, but there's still going to be a lot that you're going to be fighting, but it can be done. Yeah. And, and I think part of that, part of that stems in, in knowledge, right? You, sure. you need to know it's plant ID.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: we know what soybeans look like. We know what corn looks like. We've seen that all our lives growing up. It's, it's everywhere. But does anybody know what Illinois bundle looks like? Can anybody identify mm-hmm. the partridge pea that we saw this morning that was, you know, eight inches tall? Yep. Um,
1: the milkweeds exactly
0: you know and especially before they bloom these these species that are growing that are foot or two tall you know it's it can be difficult to identify sure that can. but if you start with three or four if you're out at your property and you see that's something a, you don't know what point. it is it, even if you don't have a cell phone signal you can take a picture of that and go back and look it up later you know but we've got apps if you've got if you've got the ability to open the app Open the app, take the picture, identify it right there where you're standing, but start with two or three or four that you see a lot of out there and and start making – you don't have to go out and do this entire thing in one season or one year or even one weekend. Just make effort.
2: Five species a month. At the end of the year, you got sixty species that you know and can
1: identify. Good math, Matt. Thank you. Um, (laughs) I was going to break out the calculator. (laughs) That's right. We're twenty-three minutes into this, and and if you're like, if people are like, man, these guys are going to ramble on about native. Stick with us because later on, we're going to discuss the blends that we have worked with Pure Air to come up with that that anybody can plant and and have huge benefits on their place with whether it's twenty acres or five thousand acres um call us we'd be glad to hunt with you on that five thousand acres <laughs> yeah. but um so stick with us we we are getting to uh, something that you want to hear yeah this, the uh, preliminary it, it, the build up yeah there should be some major excitement this in is our like the, voice the because moment, right we have some stuff coming with with pure air that i think is very exciting when you when you compare to other things that are offered in the industry and and what can benefit you specifically on your place so what I was going to say on that when I went off on of my rabbit trail burr, burr. Um, was let's use the example from this morning. And, and, you, and after you drive, you drive down the highway and you see all the non natives taking over the, the roadside, then you drive into landscape or uh, into your suburb and, and into your housing development or whatever, and you look at the landscape and you look at the landscaping plants. And most of them are or, or ornamentals or yeah. or non natives and you're like, oh doggone it. Like exotic. exotic. Some of them are very exotic. Yeah, well, today we were driving and in that new like where they built up the median and planted all this stuff. It was uh what did I say it was? It was uh, it was some travel uh, travel too many miles. I don't know. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, Reed's Canary Grass. Oh yeah. All that was clumped up, yeah. Right about. And, uh, there was a lot of, like, uh, other ornamental species there, and it's like, you know, what it's going to take a lot of these species, you see them drying up during the winter. I'm fighting it uh, in the house that we bought had a bush that's non-native, and it cannot take the heat at all. So it's, like, constantly trying to water it just to keep it alive, sure. so I have to hear my wife say, I can't believe you let that bush die. Sure. And then you look at the natives and you're just like they're thriving in this stuff they are and it's we stepped out of the maintenance the first place that we yes. stopped we stepped off the porch and saw butterfly milkweed planted in his landscape and there was four monarch caterpillars right there yeah and it's just like
0: right there at the house i right mean there at the and house. this this wasn't this wasn't a uh, uh, we weren't stepping out on a farmhouse where we were out in a field this was no. this was mulch manicured this landscaping Anybody's around. house. right this was done right around the house uh landscaping to make it look nice but had had some butterfly milkweed grown right there and like you said we had made we what four caterpillars four. right there within a three foot maybe two foot area
2: yeah yeah, yeah. and well, they're well, all well, probably there because it's, it's no one else has it but regardless it, it just shows and proves that listen you can have natives you can plant them in a landscape setting and they're pretty they have their function but it's not as much maintenance either because they're suited and adapted
1: yeah and going back to that question you asked all these hunters Do you love land they'll say yes well talk is cheap let's prove it now that we love it and let's start trying to plant stuff that that is beneficial to all <laughs> of our uh, native species
2: it's their, it's their tagline plant your legacy
1: that's it
0: that's it you know uh we talk about you know how they thrive in and drought conditions and in these yeah. types of you know you get into late summer i mean how many areas in the country right now are struggling because of Tons. no rainfall Tons. and and these species have been adapted thousands and thousands and thousands of years they have most natives now have a root system that is so complex and so deep mm-hmm. that turf grass and and most annual row crop plantings can't even compete with that these native plants the root system and the, the root wad, I guess, if you will, you know, is, is, can be down six, eight, 10, 12, some of them 15 and 16 feet deep. They're yep. going to find water. There's no, there's Somewhere no doubt about there, it. Yeah. They will find water that, that the surface of the, you know, the soil up top has dried out days and days ago, yep. but 10, eight, six feet deep, there's moisture down there and those plants are thriving because of that.
1: That's yeah. right. I, 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 you've got that picture you have at your booth that I just mm-hmm. I still yeah, at think about, yeah NWTF when you guys
0: just stopped and, and you know yeah. staring at the root yeah. system on that and then to see you know turf grass over on the side with a 6 inch or 8 inch root system on it I bet, I bet it.
2: your listeners were like you know they had the uh, oh gosh what was that famous picture that's always in the movies or the posters like a faucet or something like that, like on on the wall. It's yeah, like, the we f- grew up with that poster <laughs> on our wall. Look at the, root, <laughs> yeah, the system. root system. Yeah, just yeah. laid in bed My at kid night. Will. Oh, look at the root
1: system. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Look at the difference. Yeah. 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 yeah, compass plant has like one of the deepest ones that I know of that's like mm-hmm. could be sixteen foot deep, and it's just like. And, hey, it, and that's, it's a, doing that's so a bright, well
0: right now. showy flower that puts on, you know, a beautiful bloom, attracts, as you saw this morning, tons, tons of pollinators. I mean, bees yeah. were everywhere across yeah. some of that stuff we were looking at. Butterflies flying around, birds eating every insect they could get their beaks on. Yeah. I, I mean, it was just, it was literally buzzing with activity there that, yeah. you know, you wouldn't find out in a fescue field or, or, you know, out in a cedar monoculture. You're just, you don't see that.
1: Yep. Yeah, and and so for the cattle guys, the guys that are listening that have cattle farms that are trying to manage their properties for both the wildlife and the cows, when you talk about the benefits of the native grass and wildflowers for the for the wildlife, then you will briefly touch on it, because this is a hunting and habitat-focused podcast, but talk about the benefits of native grasses and the wildflowers to cows and how they can fill that void of the summertime blues that cattle farmers face when they are planting and grazing these cool season perennial pastures, the tall fescue, orchard grass, even the red clovers mixed in, that all kind of shut down during the summer months in the heat especially. And then you look at the native grasses that were thriving, and you want to talk about some gains during the summer months when normally, if you're a your conventional farmer looking at these perennial cool season grass pastures, and during the summer months you just try to level off, and you're just like, I hope they can just keep their maintain, weight. right. We just want to maintain. And then you look at native grasses, and you sent the info to me of the guy that had three, almost three pound gains. Right. On with, y- with natives, year, right, with month natives. after
0: month, on you know he wasn't just say sustaining; he was growing, he was putting on That's weight, right. and and uh, you, you just can't do that with these cool season grasses, especially that time of year. Yes. You know, it, you there's no other way to do that uh, to put on to have gains, well, and those are massive gains for, for cattle. Huge gains.
2: Yes. I mean, that's money made right there. But what gets me is just the, the, the logicalness of or the lack of it, I guess, is let's graze cool season grasses during the summertime
1: yes in the warm season what, what gets what, me is what why let's plant native or let's plant non-native perennial cool season grasses in a yard and then gripe when it's and it's trying yeah. to dry up during the summer months and you're out there watering it like crazy i gotta water this well yeah like, you trying you to psych it out psych out the yeah. grass thinking it's still a cool season and yeah. it's gonna supposed or it's supposed to continue growing it doesn't make sense yeah. don't
0: work like we, that. we use a lot of time and resources uh, uh, you know just uh, generally speaking the general we use a lot of time and resources trying to keep uh non-native and cool season and all these things that shouldn't be there growing and shouldn't be doing what they're doing just to keep them alive just to keep them sustained and maintained yes. we, we put a lot of time effort and money into that
1: i i Tons. laugh when i when i see people or talk about trying to plant like a glade there's glades across the country but where we're at there's a lot more of them the, the ozark glades and And you have these areas, for the people that don't know, very shallow soil, very dry, almost desert-like grasslands. And uh, naturally speaking, native speaking, it's got little blue, Indian grass, big blue, some some switch grasses there. Also has tons of coneflowers and all kinds of other wildflowers. And they just grow naturally. They thrive Mm -hmm. on But then we go in and we try to, like, we buy that piece of ground cheap. And we're like, I'm going to plant a food plot here. Well,
2: be- Because it's already typically semi-open. Semi-open. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. like,
1: well, I don't have to clear it. I don't have to cut it. I don't have to doze it. Let me just plant it. I'm going to plant And you'll plant, like, let's just say it's a cattle farmer or a food plotter. And they're going to plant a non-native that's not adapted to that site. And plant it and go, doggone it. i got to pump the fertilizer into that just to get it to grow. And it's like, how? how, f- stop. why? Just stop. Why? Just yeah.
0: rethink it. Go back. Start over. Sure stop
1: that's it and and so just oh, that we could go on and on but all right. we've got some exciting stuff to talk about yeah let's go ahead and start talking about it
2: and I want to before we really get into it um, we're gonna talk about these different blends that we've worked with Purior to create and and put together um, throughout the summertime frame and basically had you know goals and objectives that okay we want we want this Mixture, this blend to do this and this to do this and this type of situation. Um, one of those is going to be developing edge habitat or edge species um, for hunting strategies and for overall food plot strategies. The edge. Yeah, <laughs> the edge. The edge.
1: And, and before we say that, let's say the obvious. Let's talk about the elephant in the room when it comes to native wildflowers and grasses. The sticker price is always the thing that people kind of – steer away from because you look at it and it's it's a lot of times you'll see it the prices it's 50 to 150 dollars per pound and you're like per pound i'm usually planting (laughs) pound (laughs) i'm planting 50 pounds of wheat yeah for one acre and how how is it per pound and so you're like man that that's just crazy to me to think about planting a species that's not you think that oh well that that wildflower is not even as the deer aren't going to eat that like they eat a soybean. I'm much better off to plant a soybean, and but you get it one one year with the soybean. Yeah. Maybe if the deer don't eat it at a young age and you get enough rain. Now, when it comes to the natives, is you plant that and if it gets established, you have that for years and years,
2: self-regenerating. That's with right. The right. With the proper management and upkeep.
0: And 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 that's a good point you bring up, Adam, about the cost because. They are, especially when you get into this food plot and hunting industry, it's sticker shock, right? You see these prices on some of these things, and you said $50 a pound. There are some species that are $900 a pound. There are some mm-hmm, species yeah. even higher than that.
2: Oh, no, the listeners just stopped listening. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Right.
0: But, but as you guys saw this morning, first off, the, the harvesting um, on our production plots, the harvest of these seeds is a thankless job. It yeah. is painstaking. Right. And and mostly because these seeds are microscopic. And and I mean that. That's and, not figurative. No, I'm looking at it right here. You know, the Plains Coriopsis has got over 200,000 seeds. 200,000 per ounce. <laughs> Can it's, you imagine having an ounce of seed in your I think, hand I think we look at and like a sneeze? Soybeans, yeah, it's, it's like, gone.
2: Yeah, I plant about 150,000 seeds per acre. Right. Yeah that's comparison
0: to this right right an ounce has yeah. over 200,000 seeds there I mean there's there's thousands pounds. you know black-eyed susan's got almost 100,000 seeds in it per ounce so you're talking about you don't have to buy a pound of seed no. or, or to uh, f- to plant something especially in 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 all our cost share mixes you know they're they're putting together uh right now um everything you plant like the monarch species the monarch mix is a big one right now it's a minimum of 20 species right that mix when it's said and done is only going to be four or five pounds total. You know, it's going to have a couple of ounces of this and three ounces of that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe a pound of grasses total in that mix. And then it's going to have, you know, ounces of Forbes in it. So, um, when you when you hear that price, there's a lot of factors that go into that. It's, it's the harvesting, the collecting, the amount of seed that you're uh, that you actually need to plant is very minuscule. You know, we send out bags of four pounds for an acre, and somebody calls us and says, "Where's the rest of it?" No, that's the, uh, trust me, that's all you need. That's yeah. that's more than enough for what you're doing. Yeah, um, you know. So, and then on top of that is. Natives aren't grown like soybeans are grown or corn are grown. You can't go to every corner, you know, every co-op and buy those natives and just pick them up anywhere. You're not going to go to your, your big box store and pick up seed packs full of natives. You're going to get, um, you know, all the other stuff, the more uh, ornamental and exotic and non-native stuff yep. in a seed pack. That, that people want to see, but these natives aren't sold like that. They're not collected and harvested. And, and so that factors into the price on some of this stuff. But we've put together, with your guys' help, put together some excellent uh, packages for, um, you know, guys to get started.
1: Very it, cost effective, it, too. Yeah. I, and
2: and hunters and land managers, like it serves a purpose for us, yes. like what we do on, on a daily basis. Um, so I want to say real quick before we get into – talking about the the mixture itself um we have done a portion of a podcast podcast number 62 on edge habitat and edge species and developing edges throughout a property and some of what we're going to talk about is going to be included in there and you can go back and reference that podcast um in association with these blends or one of the blends that we're going to talk about
1: and i think this edge blend that we're you kind of touched on just a second ago when we think about a food plot think of how many times you see it you have 70 to 100 foot tall trees straight down to a food plot and they plant right up to the trunk of those trees as close you can get as close as you can get more and then you sit there and you watch the center of the food plot do really well but the edge just is terrible crummy and especially in the fall crops yeah and you're like why is it like the trees it's under the drip line they're competing with the trees but i'm still going to plant it because maybe there's a chance i can put enough fertilizer on it to to do well encourage coach it along why, why do we do that that's just a waste of money every single year to fertilize to put the seed down and it provides very little benefit to the wildlife so how can we improve well, they, that?
2: They bypass because it's not even the most nutritious and go to the center of the field.
1: It's the, it's the opposite of the edge effect where yes. we don't. deer are often called creatures of the edge, but it's not because they prefer the edge and that's where they make their living. It's because there's a lot of species that aren't necessarily throughout the landscape.
2: The rest of it.
1: The rest of it. Like what? when you look at the amount of sunlight that hits the edge of a food plot from, from coming in from the side... There's a lot of young forest. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of regen plants. There's a lot of early successional plants. And then you move 50 yards into the timber, and you don't have that. And it's because it's too much shade. And so we can design something and come up with something. I guess we didn't design it. God designed it. But we came up with the idea to try to plant other species that are going to do much better than your fall plots. But
0: the the, – you know – The reason, uh, us food plotters, we want to plant up to the edge, or or in theory, the whole point of that is to maximize your space, right? There's no trees growing there, so I need to plant something there. They want as much as they can get for it. Um, Well, this edge feather, these natives are going to maximize that because you're clearly not doing it with your soybeans right up against the tree line under the drip line, you know. Yeah. You can see it, what's even, what's, what's neat is I've been to some properties recently where they've got a massive couple of trees growing and, and they don't have a very defined tree line. So you can see the circle Oh, yeah. of the drip line oh, out yeah. into it's not yep. just one long wood line like you would normally see along a field edge but instead you see it's almost like the shadow of the tree but it's not it's not a sunlight issue it's the Correct. drip lines the resources that it's competing yep. for yes and uh and and that's really easy to point out and see that you've got three foot tall soybeans out here and you've got a foot tall soybeans or, or a foot and a half tall soybeans underneath and they're all that wilted mm-hmm. yeah exposed soil you know it's yeah. going to be much hotter there than it is out there in the field so just
1: so why are natives going to do better deeper root systems better adapted to growing in shade and sun especially (coughs) excuse me especially these
2: species that have been
1: selected for this edge mix yes and so to me this is what out of all the blends this is what i'm very excited about because um when you look at the price oh my gosh it's it's you're you're in savings in fertilizer and and, uh, and, food, plot and seed. food plot seed in one year, you're probably going to pay for this yeah. because it's not going to require acres and acres and acres. It's really going to require just buying the seed plant in 5, 10, maybe 15 feet out around the edge of the food plot.
2: Yeah, for sure, for sure. And because of this blend, we're, we're not only creating, I guess, a cost savings from a food plot standpoint, but we're creating... Um, different types of habitat for broods turkey broods for poults for what's the same thing for fawns for
1: quail for rabbits rabbits rats mice everything all, all the things going to all the podcasts we talk we're, about we're bringing, small games
2: we're bringing forbs into this mixture so it attracts the insects which bring in like i said the turkeys, everything so it has its purpose beyond just the the food plot oh we're going to save your time and do this like it's it's meant to be here like this Absolutely. that's right
0: and you get in you can take it one step further and and i know this is a, a dangerous topic to touch on but um you know you you're Creating fawning habitat to protect those fawns from those coyotes out there. That's and, right. And without you know, without doing that, those food plots aren't doing that. You have your soybeans growing from May, June through the harvest season, and when those leaves drop, there's no cover in there. There's nothing there no. to, to hide those, you know, fawns who are still susceptible, you know, that year's fawns to predation on uh, from coyotes.
1: I, I, I that's a great point, too, because I laugh when people talk about how you don't want to have the narrow strips for fawns or turkey poults because predators can just run those strips, but then you let the habitat just go terrible everywhere. And it's like, well, at least there's a better chance they survive. Right. Now, and if you do that across the landscape, holy cow, you, you've created some great habitat that's really going to leave a lasting effect.
0: And it's simple. It just... Around the field edges, That's go to it. another field, do it again.
1: And, and, and don't spray it like you spray mm. every year. You just let it, let, it, let it do its thing. And to me, the other, why, why do you want to plant this? Well, we all love deer moving during daylight. And deer move during daylight when they're comfortable to move during daylight. How do you make a deer comfortable? You, you give them the habitat that they need to feel comfortable. You give them the, the, cover, to, the, the cover and the security. structure to where they feel like they can move and not be seen.
0: If, if you're a deer hunter listening to this podcast and you take nothing from this podcast <laughs> except for this right here, planting natives, especially this edge mix, planting species like this is going to increase deer movement during daylight on your property more than anything you could ever do to your property.
2: Yeah, I'd say period. At the end. But it's actually more of like an exclamation it, point it, at the it, end yeah, of that. <laughs> it is. You
0: you will increase movement so much more. You will see so much more activity on your property by creating this type of habitat than by That's doing right. anything else.
1: That's right. For, sure. For and, sure. And to me, it's just, it's, oh, it's something that I, I don't know why we haven't done it yet. It's like, this should have been planted. You know, people make the statement. Should have been planted yesterday. Mm-hmm. Well, it should have been planted last year. Actually, let's go back. It should have never been removed. There we go there we go and so to me that's one thing i we want to talk about deer moving during daylight let's plant the edge let's give them something tall that they feel comfortable not only that there's species in here that are going to provide great forage during the growing season then it's going to mature and it's going to provide great structure there's great food in here for for birds like quail and and turkey poults with the partridge pea and illinois flower. then you have the coreopsis and the coneflowers and i'll let you list it out but um, there's so many benefits with this that it's just if you haven't bought the seed yet and planted it then then by golly let's let's sign up. That's what I got to say because yeah. it's just one of those things that's like man this is so awesome. Well, one of it's the great things- for erosion control and food plots if you don't have the rocks yeah. like we do you need something to you're like man, I plow, and I disc, and I, I do all that, and then we get a big rain, and a lot of my soil runs off to the edge. Well, there's been proven research that shows that these big, diverse mixes, uh, buffer strips, I think they call buffer them, on, yep. on crop fields helps with the water quality and erosion control. Well, now you're doing it in a smaller scale on your food plots. Right.
2: And uh, all similar studies of that have shown the increase in yields adjacent to those those uh, buffer strips that's and, right and, and the crop production in that area because of pollinators that are attracted to this that's
1: it's
0: it yeah the, the buffer Proof. strip is an well. actual program a cost share program yeah. yes that you can come in and put in where they go through do we do the exact same thing but now we're taking that and, it, and it's it's noted that this is this is better habitat for wildlife but it's not new it's just new for the hunters you that's know, right natives, exactly. natives aren't planted in the hunting uh, industry very often and but everybody else is doing it to keep the habitat and keep everything in place and the clean water and clean air and pollinators and everything else let's bring that over to the hunting world and create that better habitat that's it for these animals
2: oh we're bringing
1: it that's oh, right oh, so oh, we have it. in the as edge mix we have little blue stem, indian grass big blue stem, switchgrass those are our big main grasses in that one we have black eyed susan false sunflower purple prairie clover one of my favorites partridge peach and illinois bonaflower. All, all two, those three right there are some of my top, probably in my top five altogether. Plains Coriopsis and upright prairie coneflower.
2: And if you don't know what that is, don't be afraid because, it, again, it takes time to learn what these species are. But we're going to list them out and have them in the show notes. But research them. Go look and see what they're going to look like in the long run once they're
1: established. That's right. And then you, we basically, it's sold in, in just over eight pounds an acre. And the value of that is one hundred and twenty dollars per acre.
2: And you're like, well, okay, I'm paying eight eight pounds per acre. One hundred. That's a lot per pound. But let's break it down like this: If you do a five foot yard wide strip, did you hear
1: that? Five five foot, foot yard. Five did I say foot, that? Five uh, foot yard. <laughs> what, which what, one do you want to go? With? <laughs> what unit of measurement is that? It's actually no, we're going to uh, need from a calculator for that. <laughs> A five-foot. Oh, that, that's the that's scientific so calculator. That's the second stuff. time I've done that.
2: Yeah, it <laughs> takes that some like? fancy maneuvering on a calculator. to FT to slash... Yeah. I, y. Y. You've yeah. got you the variables in yeah. there. Okay, it is a five-yard wide strip that will cover 968-yard field perimeter.
1: So for us, to keep that simple for perspective. you... We We have three new food plots that um are roughly anywhere from a acre and a half well they've seen them in the films Two, yeah Yeah. the the ones we use permanent forest openings we planted the whole thing of soybeans this year to kind of control some of the weeds and we had three celestes and johnson grass coming up so we've been spraying it out trying to kill those species making sure we have it under control but the five yard strip all the way around these three food plots which are anywhere from an acre and a half to two acres all three of those add up to almost that. So we're yeah. buying one acre worth to plant these three food plots. All so like in, right. It's for five yards wide.
2: It's five plus acres of food plots. Yeah, almost six. O- almost six acres of food plots that with one or, or yeah, one bag or, or this eight pounds, $120 per acre. That's what we're planning covering that much ground. That's yeah. a lot.
1: That's a lot. So it wouldn't take a lot of the edge blend to improve your farm and make deer more comfortable.
2: If you if you don't have that many acres of food plots or field edge, split it with a neighbor. Find someone in a, a deer co-op. Say, hey, listen, I, I want this in my property, but
1: I can't use all this seed. Find or someone plant edge. the whole field. Or plant <laughs> the <laughs> whole field. <laughs> to me, you know, that, yeah. that's where... like Or we make the ha- strip wider. Right. We have a bedding blend and kind of this this idea, but shoot, you could, bu- you could plant the whole field in that and have a great... I mean, well, so the many thing. benefits Six, to wildlife.
2: 60% of this this blend right here is under three foot tall. So when a deer beds down, he lays yeah. down, he's gone. Yeah.
1: You can't see him in this. And to me, it goes with the whole, okay, diversity. Like switchgrass and big blue stem and all that's great for cover, but there's no, there's not hardly any beneficial forage wide. Correct. That's and, what, and that's and, what we see and in and the then typical if CRP. if you plant straight monoculture of it, it can get so thick the deer don't want to even walk through it. So this diversity of bunch grass and, and forbs and, and broad leaves all mixed together is ideal for, for all the wildlife, so let's create that, and that's why we have so much diversity in that mix. The next right. one, we have the trail screen. How many people, deer hunters, have planted a screen to try and hide them? I mean, it's so new well, this year. Better, like,
2: better question. How many people plant one every year?: Yeah. yeah. How many people in, plant in the one? same spot?:
1: Every year that really provides nothing other than screening especially after the first frost and so that this is where ours is a little different because it's like it goes back to that managing every acre every foot for the wildlife why not plant something that's also benefiting the wildlife may not be the white-tailed deer specifically but you should still i hope you're still concerned about some of the native species there as the rabbit quail uh another songbirds whatever it is and so you plant it and you're trying to just plant it every year and it, and it blows over and you're like oh man that really didn't work when i needed it but adding the diversity and adding some broad leaves in there um, to where their structured to where it can stand up during during the uh the winter months so we have wild golden glow false sunflower big blue stem switchgrass that's the one you see so much um, Illinois bundleflower and partridge pea, and people are going, "What in the heck is Illinois bundleflower and partridge pea doing in there?"
2: Well, and then they're looking up.
1: That's a, a foot saying, tall. Yeah.
2: Why? And you're you're. I have that in a screen. Are you kidding me? Why'd they put that in there?
1: Yeah. What well, it's grown waist tall, waist tall, and it looks like it's got soybean pods all mangled together. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm talking about the Illinois bundleflower. That's because it's providing food for a lot of your other species. You're having more rabbits, you're having more quail, you're having more songbirds, whatever it is. We're just about improving the landscape for all the native species. So that's why we add this other stuff. in. And having those
2: legumes into the grasses is the diversity and that's how it naturally grew. So let's put it back in there.
0: You know, uh, part of this too, is with the different species and the different heights, you're gonna create something that's gonna stand up and stay standing up. And and because these are perennials are gonna be back year after year. You're you're looking at, you know, planting it once and it's gonna stand up where you get into some of the switch grasses and some of the other things and you plant that monoculture, it doesn't have the strength in the understory of that planting to stay up or or, or you know, to, it, it may droop, it may sag, you get mm-hmm. snowfall, which you know, we didn't have much of this year, but in certain right. areas of the country you get you get a foot of snow or two foot of snow and that stays down and it's never back. So, um There's strength in having those smaller those shorter species in there and if
1: i'm reading this correctly switchgrass is the dominant species in in this mix right and so that's the one that everybody wants to plant so you still have the dominant switchgrass but we've mixed in other species to really benefit the wildlife and if we're really talking about it fine-tuning it we have legumes in here which are going to fixate nitrogen which which are feeding our grasses yes Go. so
0: and, you know, you touched on it a minute ago, too, but you get into the monoculture of switchgrass, and over time, that's going to thicken up. And a lot of people oh, don't know that. And super. switchgrass is a great in, – in the hunting industry right now, switchgrass is the grass. You know, it's, it's that
1: – It's the hinge cutting I, of grass. Really? I hadn't heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: So – and people want to buy that and you buy that and plant as a monoculture. But you're going to – your deer are going to avoid that as it thickens up you know the first couple of years you'll be fine but as it recedes and as it grows stronger and thicker it's going to be something that they can't get through they don't deer like to feel safe but they don't want to be in the thickest constrained you know, right exactly they
1: need a point of exit they need to escape they kind of be able to see smell hear mm-hmm. what's coming but have medium. the ability to escape easily
0: right. and, and, and a real thick stand of switchgrass that's you know, that five six eight years old that's just going to get avoided. There may be one trail that goes through there, but that's it.
1: Yeah, that's right. So, man, oh man, I'm excited about that one. So then we go into another blend, which is called the prairie blend or bedding blend, whatever you want to call it. I, we look at it because it's it's a kind of the step process of of restoring a prairie setting.
2: Well, and I think that this, we talked about it earlier about you know why we've gotten away from it a little bit, and and that's sometimes the maintenance that takes or the the process that takes to establish and this one goes into a little bit more detail of what it takes to get this blend up and going for the long-term benefit of it we did a lot of research and a lot of talking um, with people who are planting and establishing diverse stands of basically a prairie blend just like this and said what do you guys recommend what what Again, what's the phases, or do we do this all at once? What's the quickest way to get
1: an established an, and prairie? And best way. Yes. Yep. yep. We didn't say, but the tall screen is 160 per acre. Once again, how many guys are ever even planning <laughs>
2: An acre's worth an, of a screen, right? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So I guess my question to that is, which I know we'll get, what kind of bagging sizes can we, can we have these in? Can we ship these in? Is that to be determined?
0: You can, we are a custom seed shop. So, if somebody wants to order a quarter acre of that or 3.2 acres of it, however they want, yeah. we'll put it in a bag and, and send it out to them. So, That's right. we, we all keep right. all our Ooh. inventory separate downstairs, as you guys noticed, in, yep. in the warehouse there. So, we come in and we mix things as they are ordered. That way, we don't have 300 bags sitting around that John from Iowa ordered that doesn't work for, you know, uh, Brett's property down in Arkansas. Um, yeah. so we keep Made that the stuff. Kind of like
1: McDonald's. I'm just, I'm just thinking here you guys don't like deliver this and you're like pulling into a dark parking lot with a little baggie and say here you go yeah. just here. <laughs> out. Here's,
0: here's your ounce yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's prairie blend dude well, well we, you know we're on the north side here so some of that <laughs> right. some of that lingo slips in every now and then <laughs>
1: it's purple prairie clover officer yeah.
0: Yeah. are you sure it's just powder no it's native seed I'm telling yeah. you
1: yeah. He said it was really fine mm-hmm. that's right so Going back to the prairie blend, phase one, is there is a step process to get this. We we have to get rid of the established species that are there. And a lot of times, if we're talking about converting a, a fescue pasture um, or some other area into this native blend, we have to take care of what's there first. And so that's where there are certain herbicides to help establish this. Correct. And we need to plant something that can withstand these herbicides to get the other the the bad guys out so the good guys can grow and so that's where we we chose to go with this phase one blend of the prairie uh, of the prairie process to be big blue stem little blue stem and ending grass so hopefully that first year you're going to get some growth Uh, probably not the head high but who knows what can happen we're looking to get Something established that's beneficial. So we have these three species of grasses and for the cattle guys This is another thing that you can plant and hopefully you may be able to even graze it that summer depending on rainfall and site prep Um, So that's phase one and that's where really where you could I wouldn't advise it, but you could stop there and say I got bedding in a bag right there I've got three species. I'm gonna have great grasses um, and you, of course, you're going to have some other stuff fill in over time, but that's kind of the start of, of the prairie process that's phase a, that's one. That's the foundation. That's it. Right.
2: That, that gives you the structure and the cover that a lot of people are looking for. But again, what we want to do is look back at nature and say, what, how, how did, how did it do it naturally? And that's where the phase two comes back in and adding additional grasses and adding, um, Forbes into this mixture to create a true prairie blend that's going to achieve um, incredible bedding.
1: To me, so phase one of the three grasses—big blue, little blue, Indian grass—you have seven pounds of seed there, and it's hundred and eight dollars per acre. And yep. so, a lot of times, I think I think we've all been guilty of this. Me, especially of going and looking online at native seed and going, "Whoa, it's only forty-eight bucks a pound. Okay," but then it requires six pounds per acre. Right. It,
0: I, I want to jump in too here and say that seven pounds an acre is actually a pretty full stand for these native grasses. I mean, that that's going to get you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's that's pretty much right at USDA recommended for an acre of, of seed. But also at Pure Air Natives, we sell pure live seed. We do not sell bulk. You're going to get bulk because there's no way to separate some of that inert matter from some of the seed. But what we do is our seed comes in, we clean that seed, and then it sent away for a seed test through a third-party lab that will come back and tell us our germination rate, our viability. So then we say, okay, if somebody brought in 100 pounds, viability is 95%. That gives us 95 pounds of pure live seed. We have 95 pounds and that's what we sell. We don't consider that extra five in there, mm-hmm. that bulk. So what you're looking at here is is seven pounds and, and a couple pounds of each species in this mix that's pure live seed That's seed that's been tested and will germinate by you know tested by third-party labs so there may be a little bit more in that bag but you're getting actual live seed there
1: there you go great great explanation so 108 dollars per acre to me that's just so exciting because shoot we're we're how many times do you get asked this how well how do i even go about establishing this and then you may go and buy a 20 species mix and put it out there and you start fighting weeds and it's like uh then you have to go out and do hand spraying and hand picking and hand pulling try the
0: thing that we've done um is we will also i mean like i said this is a pretty full mix here so that's going to cover most of your acreage there it's going to help fight a lot of stuff because grasses are going to grow a little bit faster than forbes but you know somebody can also you can go in depending on the time of year you can plant oats with that you can plant winter wheat. you can plant an annual that's going to grow quicker it's going to die off the next year and it's going to shade out a lot of those undesired species and some of those weeds from coming back a companion and, crop exactly and and we do that often with uh, some of our contracting work that we do so we'll put in we'll put in oats uh you know we we did a lot of that earlier this year and um go through it and that just you know it it what you're doing with this phase one is somebody's coming in and saying, "This year, I, I want to plant something, and I want to I want to really take a big hold out of this non-native field, and I want to. My goal is to have a prairie at the end of this, but I can't do it all up front. Let's take a big foundation and start, and that's what the grasses is going to do in phase one.
1: There you go, love it. So phase two is where it gets real exciting, and that's where we have high species mixes and other and other all kinds of stuff here that I really am excited about. Um, because this is basically coming in the next year the next uh, the next dormant season and planting the next one once you've taken care and got out all the other non-native perennials that are there so in this mix this is kind of where you really get to where you've got high diversity adding forage and cover to the to the prairie to the bedding area whatever it is with your first we have a couple more grasses you've got um eastern gamma grass which is one of my favorites switchgrass you notice i say one of my favorites on every one of these um (laughs) eastern gamma grass switchgrass side oats grandma max sunflower false sunflower illinois bundleflower, gray-headed coneflower marsh blazing star another one of my favorites (laughs) partridge pea and upright prairie coneflower Um, to me that's where you've got so many things in there providing benefits to so many different species the eastern gamma grass is one of those it has a very unique seed head um, and we yeah. have it growing kind of native in areas of my farm that um you look at that seed compared to a little bitty rush where we were talking about almost like microscopic eastern gamma grass is one big. of those where it's like it, it's like taking a turkey foot and plucking <laughs> it off on each scale To where you're like mm-hmm. you had this big gnarly looking seed um, and it's and it kind of comes on a lot earlier than some of your big blue, little blue. It's it's starting to form clumpy bunch grass in, a little bit earlier in the spring or in the summer to where it's going to provide probably more structure for the fawns and turkey poults early on while the others are getting established. Then you have switchgrass, the um, sidos grandma, and then you go into the sunflowers, then the bunnell flowers, and the cone flowers. And ah, I mean, what what else can I say here?
2: Well, I think we. With the amount of time that we did on the pre- preliminary of, of basically revealing these blends, hopefully encouraged people enough that said, okay, I get it. I understand. Yeah. I and, understand why all that's this is your here. And this I mean,
1: also that's helps it. with the whole sticker shock. You could buy the first one, you don't have to buy it all the same year. You buy yep. it the first year and you say, okay. Maybe you go mow a few more yards or buck a few more bales of hay or whatever it is so you can buy the next phase two the next year.
0: Phase two could be three years down the road. Yeah. Four years down the road. You have a native grass stand that is going to be there year after year and it's fighting back all this, you know, all, yep. all these undesired species. You
1: can be spraying it with herbicide, making sure you have all these noxious weeds taken care of. So if, if there's areas that you want to create, bedding I have.
2: Tons of open ground. You're like, well, I can't plant all of it. I, you know, maintain those food plots. This right here, and and you don't have a natural seed bed already. This right here is, is your go-to.
1: Yeah, and and then you get this established. Oh my gosh! And then then if you want to add, I know you guys aren't a tree farm, but you, you love the land as much as we do. You want to add more diversity? You could add plum thickets or other woody species into woods. these prairie, into these prairie things to where you have that diversity of. You never like, go home. You, you
0: can just stay stay at your your property the whole time. That's I mean, right. Justin's just, gonna bed down and you know, there's right. no pray. Just pull up my <laughs> chair and, and sit down.
1: That's right. That's right. I, I think and you just all of a sudden it's gonna be you plant all that and you've got the native prairie and pretty soon it's just like holy cow! I've well, I've what, built an ecosystem by planting something.
2: Yeah, and and you want to talk about achieving something and feeling something like uh, of of excitement? Yeah, it's certainly certainly fun to um it's attractive to plant food plots to see game come into them and take part of them but like you're you're building and creating I, lo- I love the hashtag plant your legacy but you're you're building like I said an ecosystem that not just one species is going to come to but it starts from insects all the way up into mammals and you t- you take a huge part of that responsibility in planting that and managing a property
1: in a native state there are no awards in land management there are no grammys there are no oscars (laughs) there are no i I guess you could win Conservationist of the year or whatever but really there's no big award The, the award that we look for is the award that mother nature approves what we've done and the first day that we once we get this established and we get our prairies if you will established and the first bobolink that comes flying through, I'm going to probably wet myself <laughs> with pure excitement of going, "Holy cow! I've never even seen a bobolink." I, I might which be is able a... to
0: find one and see if I can just
2: get it
1: to fly that's by right, in front right. of me. Yeah, a released bobolink. <laughs> he comes out of the out of the cage. A few feathers flying uh, out. I'm going to say, "There's something wrong with crew that crew thing." And
2: then the crew comes out of the woods. Get it. Get that shot. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. peeing himself right now. Yeah,
1: that's right. And so that's what it's all about. And so I'm 100%. so excited. Before I forget. If you want information on these mixes yes. and you're ready to order when is the most popular time to order this this these well, species? It, it,
0: yeah, that is one thing I wanted to talk about. Planting dates for native species is, is completely opposite of what you know with row crops and any yeah. other flowers and things. Native species get planted in the fall, in the winter time, and then they will germinate in the spring and start to grow. So the Official, I say official, unofficial uh, planting date in the Missouri area is November fifteenth. Um, essentially, we're waiting for the dormant season, and and then planting can start happening. Now, the majority of planting happens usually in February, January, and February time, um, but people will start buying seed anywhere from you know now through through uh, March 15th is the last official day of planting season but then if you're planting with a drill you can get some um, you know some leeway where you can get into May and then even the warm season grasses can be towards the end of May a little bit you know it really kind of once you start getting on the fringes of those planting dates really depends on the weather and the soil conditions right? that's right yeah sure yeah so but the heart of the planting season is going to be November 15th through March 15th and
1: that's, I mean, that to me is just like perfect timing. You're trying to wind down on, on hunting or maybe you're just getting fired up, but kind of that, that winter time frame planting your natives. So you have something to plant even when you're not focused on t- traditionally planting.
2: Yeah, and I think it's important to note that we will be doing an additional follow-up podcast on the proper establishment of how to get these things going and maintenance required to um, basically... Get these plots long-term benefit condition-wise. So ready to rock and roll to
1: get in touch with Pure Air Natives to start ordering this and getting ready for the next that window. The next uh, window, of course, there's people on staff to walk them through the process as well. I believe absolutely um, that can kind of tell you, okay, what's the site look like right now? What you need to do to prepare for this? Uh, of course, six three six three five seven six four three three. That's the number to reach Pure Air Natives. The office
0: number yes sir
1: that's right and then you can email sales at pureairnatives.com and also visit pureairnatives.com. that's right so
0: we are uh we do not do online sales as of right now we're, we're trying to change that with the uh the website uh um you know as the changes come along there but because we are a custom seed shop you know, it's difficult to have online sales mm-hmm. when people don't necessarily know what they want. Sure. And so we like to, to talk to people on the phone, figure out what it is they need. You know, we, you guys have talked about it in the recent uh, uh, Food Plot podcast about what's the best thing to plant. Well, yeah. we get those phone calls too. Exactly. What should I plant? Well, right. there's a whole list of questions that we need to go over about your site and what's there before we can say, this is what you got, this is what you need. Um, now I know we've got these particular mixes here you know, folks can call in and, and ask for that specifically. We know what's in it; it's not a problem. We can get that mixed up and get it sent out right away. But if there's something in there that you, that you don't want, or there's something in there that you there's something not in there you want to add to it, or you just want to make your own mix altogether, we are a custom shop, so we're happy to talk to you on the phone and, and walk you through any of those questions you might have, and then uh, get that seed bagged up and sent out to you
1: awesome justin we thank you so much for coming on hopefully everybody enjoyed it i know i sure enjoyed the heck oh, out of it yep. um this is something that's near and dear to my heart and uh, i just love talking native grass wildflowers and the need to bring them back bring the natives back that's it
0: well i appreciate you guys uh coming out and, and joining me today and getting a, getting a look at some of the production plots and thanks for having me on and being able to talk natives with me
2: that's, that's right absolutely All appreciate right. It, justin yeah take care Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you like what you hear, check us out at landandlegacy.tv. You can submit a viewer question right there, and we're answering the podcast. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram.
1: Feels pretty good knowing that from the beginning of time, God has called us to be a caretaker, a gamekeeper, a manager of the land. So with that being said, don't you think we should do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God?